episode of small doses we've been doing this thing now for three and a half years and this conversation is very overdue not just in terms of topic but in terms of guest um because this person has been brilliant this whole damn time and um and we and we've been discussing like oh we need to make it happen we need to make it happen so i'm finally glad that we're able to make it happen and the conversation today uh around politics of queerness is incredibly important because it's also very rooted in the specificities of black queer folks and the uniqueness of that politics. And, you know, we've been talking about intersectionality and the ways in which that shows up and the ways in which it gets ignored. And in this conversation, it is an imperative part of understanding the scope and the context of what it is to be not just queer in America, but black and queer in America and the politics surrounding that, not just on a literal level of like uh, legislation, et cetera, but the social politics of that and then how that relates to those of us who don't identify as queer and what our role is in that as well. And so one of the greatest voices to speak on this is my friend, David Johns. And you know what? I'm going to let him identify for you why he is one of the right, right, correct voices to speak on this, because not everybody can speak on everything. Okay. And I try to pride myself on bringing people to the mic who have, um, not just an interest, but have an expertise in these specific areas that we talked about. So, David, yes, welcome to the show. Thank <laughs> you for having show. me. <laughs> so, if you could please just give folks, um, because you did this right before we came on the air, but like give folks just like a basic kind of overview of like where you come into this conversation as not only an expert, but also as just like an advocate and a supporter. Yeah, I appreciate that. But before I do that, I want to say how proud I am of you, Amanda. I've known you for uh, a couple decades now. (laughs) You've been brilliant. You've been knowing. And you've been um, teaching people who have been willing to not only watch you, but do the work. Um, And I don't think you get enough public credit for the way you teach and the the many spaces in which you teach. Uh, And so I just want you to hear my heart when I say, um, I peep it and I appreciate it and I thank you. Uh, The answer to your question, no, of course, (laughs) the answer to your question for those uh, who I've not yet had the pleasure of engaging with um, is that uh, I'm a teacher and I'm a speaker and I'm a writer. Um, I currently lead the National Black Justice Coalition. Uh, It is the nation's only um, civil rights organization that is intentional and unapologetic in standing at the intersections of racial equity and LGBTQIA plus equality. Uh, What that means is we acknowledge that even before the terms LGBTQIA existed, Black people showed up in beautifully diverse ways. We also understand the lesson of Fannie Lou Hamer and so many others that unless and until all of us are free, now one of us are gonna be free. And so much of my work has been tethered by this desire to ensure that we as Black folk um, are able to engage in what my friend C.C. Battle would call white supremacy rehab and find ways to hold space for one another 
that allow us to thrive in spite of all of the challenges that we face as a result of white supremacy, anti-Blackness, transphobia, transmissage noir, all of the things that Black feminists refer to as the matrix of domination or the signs, systems, and symbols that allow those systems of oppression to be omnipresent yet hyper-invisible at the same damn time. And specific to the question of queerness or the politics of queerness, I'm gonna I'm gonna push against something I heard you say in the intro, which is that, you know, this is really important for those of us who are not queer to listen to. I'm a lover of words. Uh, one of my majors. In I say who don't identify as queer. Who, and and here's here's and he, who don't identify as queer. The the purest sense and application of the term queer. In, in, in an American context means that all of us who are Black are queer, right? Queer heuristically simply means that which is not dominant, pejorative. It means those of us who are not white, cis, able-bodied, Protestant or Catholic, all of the things that laws have been built around to protect or to provide people access to as a result of theft or legal decision. And I think too often, we as Black folks don't provide ourselves with enough space to be critical and thinking about how these terms come into being and more specifically how they are weaponized. And I'm pushing on this because I, I want us to celebrate that there's so much space for us to occupy as Black folks when we think about queerness. Not how white folks have uh, bastardized the term, specifically as it applies to the LGBTQ movement or community, but when we think about the liberatory possibilities that come from thinking about and celebrating queerness in its fullness. But sense? I think to push back on that, it is very important to understand that there is a privilege in occupying a cis hetero space yeah. and that in in being able to identify that you are not occupying an LGBTQIA plus space, you have to then acknowledge your privilege in being cis hetero and in that in acknowledging that privilege, be able to apply, you know, that privilege to creating space and creating support for those who are not in that you know, what's become considered a norm space, right? And so to me, really just saying like, I understand and recognize my privilege as a cis, uh, as a cis hetero person. And I also recognize the uniqueness and the, um, and the difference. And I, and not only recognize, but exalt in and empower the space of folks who do not consider themselves a part of this particular labeling. Yeah, I receive and appreciate that. That makes sense to me. Love you. These people got to be able to have dialogue. <laughs> okay, so tell me about first the the founding of the MBJ, mm-hmm. right? And yep, and you know, of course, we knew there was a need, but how mm-hmm. you came to feel like you know what this is a mantle that I'm going to take up because I think a lot of us can I can yeah. identify like there's a need for this thing over here, but may not necessarily feel like we have the capability or the capacity to be able to, you know, to create specific organizing around that. Yeah, I appreciate the question. And I got to cheer when I thought about um, how I experienced the answer. So NBJC um, is uh, almost a 20-year-old organization that was birthed out of the recognition that there were so many movements happening um, for radically inclusive social justice that did not allow some of us to bring all of us to those movements. Um, and so there were efforts for uh, to advance civil rights that um, said women uh, or women identified folks had to, you know, march in the back or stay at home. There were right. um, efforts that said, you know, you could come to this space, but the queer part of you has to be 
uh, outside and not talked about our as, as Bayard as Bayard Rustin looks over your shoulder. Right. Yeah. How about that? Um, the architect of the March on Washington and so many other things. Uh, and he doesn't get credit for it because he was a, a gay man who was arrested for being a, a gay man at the time. Um, and so the point here is that there was some organizing that happened uh, with folks uh, like Mandy Carter, who also helped to found an organization, Southerners on New Ground, uh, Keith Boykin, who a lot of folks know because he organized one of the first uh, meetings of a sitting president and the LGBTQ community leaders uh, in the White House. And so they worked on what became NBJC. And in 2012, um, I was appointed by uh, still my president, Barack Hussein Obama, um, and had the opportunity to, to lead uh, the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African-Americans. Um, this was important because prior to that appointment, I spent maybe a decade on Capitol Hill uh, crafting policy for the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. And most people don't think about how government actually works. Uh, and I appreciate that there are um, ways in which that's shifted in the last um, decade in particular, but for a good eight years, I was the only Black man in the Senate shaping policy on a committee that, that saw more than 40% of the legislation introduced in any given Congress, and that touched so many important facets of our lives, right? The committee I worked on was chaired by Ted Kennedy until he passed, God rest his soul. But, but we managed and I touched policy that affected everything from Head Start programs to mm. child welfare programs, child support programs. Um, K-12 education, uh, uh, higher education loans, right? Like there were so many things that affected, were literally life and death situations for people that I knew that were theoretical exercises for my colleagues right. who were on this committee. Right. And so in that context, I was hyper aware of how socially constructed identities and politics around identities and access to resources showed up. Um, and uh, I was not required to um, disclose or um, invite people in, right? And, and there are going to be a bunch of people who are like, what the hell is invite in? This is where white people would say or other people would say, come out. Um, I hate the term come out, right? Words matter to me. And, and coming out is problematic for a number of reasons. One, non-gay folks don't have to come out. There's this expectation that like you just are the way you are and we are the weird ones who at some point realize we are weird. And there's a day where y'all get to look at us with your, with your arms sort of like, tell us a story. And the reality is I don't owe anybody anything. No. Right? Like I'm clear who, who I am and whose I am. I, I show up in the world trying to live in ways that honor the sacrifices that have been made for me to have the privilege that I've worked for. And how I am loved and who loves me is not really anybody's business unless you were the one doing the love. Fair. And so we use inviting in to shift that. And because all of us got something that we don't want to talk about because of the way the shame works, right? It's just that other people's moralities allow things to be like ordered on a ladder that says like, my shame is more than yours because somebody else says so. Yeah. And, and so I'm saying all of this to say that there are a lot of folks who don't have to, and I really celebrate this, um, um, uh, exist under the burden of private identities in public places. And I appreciate that I had that experience for some time. What happened, and this is to answer your, your second question, is that almost five years ago to the date next month, 
I produced the first ever White House Summit for African-American LGBTQIA plus youth. And this was important because in the policy space before, I was always aware that when like Black groups advocated for uh, Black kids, like the Urban League or the, the, the yes. NAACP, right? Like there was, there was always an assumption that everybody was heterosexual or at least heteronormative. Absolutely, yes. And then conversely, when HRC and GLSEN and other queer organizations advocated, it was always white folks yes. or white presenting folks. And there were never like possibilities that folks were racial or ethnic minorities, although technically we're, we're, we're in the majority. And so there was this opportunity that I had been given, right? This platform that was created by President Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Robinson Obama, to be able to trouble that. You so better we say all the names. Michelle Obama, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they literally shifted shit. I'm gonna write a book about it one day. Um, but the short of it here is that we created a summit, invited 100 youth from around the country to Washington, D.C. for two days. They were centered in a process where they usually are talked about. Yeah. Right. My rule is you don't get to, as an adult, make policies or make decisions about kids that affect them without them being present and mm. in positions of power. And so we had this summit. We celebrated in the Indian Treaty Room. I thought I was going to get fired because they found a way to like create a, a, a like speaker and were like voguing. They were having a good old time in a room that I didn't know if that was allowed. <laughs> we went to sleep that night and the, we woke up to the post nightclub massacre. And when I tell you, My Amanda, I, I, I was I was at um, HRC that day because the adults were invited to reflect upon what we had heard. And, and what is HRC? The Human Rights Campaign. Thank you for that. Um, so we were we were we planned to be there um, and to talk about how we were going to shift our practice. I then had to jump on a train to Philly. Um, if memory correct, it serves me well to talk to the Coalition of Schools Educating Boards of Color and I sat, like, I'm, my body goes back to how I felt. I sat in the frustration of feeling like we, Black, queer, trans, non-binary, asexual folks don't have access to safe spaces, right? right? Like, people forget that, that what happened at polls happened on Latin night. I lost one of my frat brothers in that massacre. And it was a reflection of the violence that so many members of our community experience at home. Yeah. When I think about increased rates of suicide, ideation and completion, anxiety, depression, and experience in public, when I think about the extreme rate at which Black trans women and non-binary people are being murdered or people are being victimized and, and, and experiencing a stigma and, and discrimination. And, and it is all at this moment in our history permissible by law. It's all permissible by law. Now, can we speak to that? Because I think a lot of folks are unclear of like what was written and unwritten. And I know, um, you know, Trump essentially like undid efforts and and the small amount of like traction that had been created by Barack Hussein Obama's administration. Do I and do I understand that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. I will never forget the day of the inauguration. We were at Andrews Air Force Base watching the first family say goodbye when, when many of us got alerts that prompted me to go back to my office because the new administration started to delete web pages. And the first two web pages they deleted were around LGBTQIA movement and, and, and significant accomplishments and dates. And then they did the same thing around um, uh, climate change and environmental justice issues. 
Um, and so, yes, but yes, literally, it, it, literally, you can Google it. There are articles about it. There, the, the Obama administration did a really good job of leveraging not only digital media, but the website to talk about all of the work that we had done. And the reality is that that administration was so dangerously productive that you should be mad about something. Right? Like there were just so many things that we have been that, that, that have been done. If you care about politics, you should be mad about something. Right. Right. And before they were supposed to have access to the White House and federal buildings, the administration was attempting to remove, to erase things that had been done and were important. They then used executive authority to assign executive orders to undo things that had been done and then leverage other powers that they have by shifting resources by reassigning career staff to try and drain the swamp, which is something else we can talk about in terms of uh, the complications with that term and that phrasing, but also to divest federal efforts to provide resources to communities that are most marginalized, that have been most disenfranchised, especially as a result of the novel coronavirus Mm -hmm. Um, and the most recent uh, demonstrations of white supremacy in public and the overall lack of policy protections for folks that don't enjoy the kind of privileges that we started this conversation naming. You know, to speak to what you were saying earlier about how quite often when we're talking about like Black social justice movements, the LGBTQIA plus community is not considered as a part of the intersection of black social justice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll see folks that are like, like I'll see black folks that 100% call themselves, you know, about social justice and about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the importance of, you know, challenging police brutality, et cetera. But they will also simultaneously say, you know, um, but, but y'all wanted Biden, but Trump was, Trump was not that bad. And I think it's it's really important because I think not, not only do they clearly not know what Trump was doing to just the black community in general, but I think that those are the types of folks that consider like, well, it doesn't matter what he was doing to the trans community or to the, the queer community at large, because that's not me. You know, that yeah. doesn't that doesn't matter. Yeah. And. What do you say to folks who feel like Black Lives Matter? I've, I've seen this argument quite a bit and I never really know where it comes from or what its legitimacy is, but people who say that Black Lives Matter is about like centering a gay agenda. Yeah. When people say that, they are right in acknowledging that the leadership of the BLM movement, which is, let me let me back up. So the first person to use the term Black Lives Matters is a Black saved and a loving man named Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter, another Columbia University graduate, another student of Manny Marable. Boom. Oh my God, look at us. Right. So that's one. The people responsible Oh wait, let me for, just, oh wait, I didn't, I didn't give people context. Um, oh. David John and I attended <laughs> Columbia University together in the Institute of Research and African American Studies, which at the time was headed up by the late great Professor Manny Marable. Uh, so that is where we intersect together as intellectuals and as Black individuals. Continue. Yes. Shout out to Iris. Shout out to Sharon Harris. Yes. Shout out yes. to Sharon Harris. Shout out to Sharon Harris. Shout out to Sharon Harris. <laughs> so, uh, so Marcus uh, is the first person to use the term, uh, and Marcus is a dope thinker who has done a lot of work. You can pick up his book, Black City Makers, and and other stuff, Chocolate City. So, the people responsible for popularizing it uh, in its association with the global movement for Black Lives are three Black women, two of whom identify as queer. 
Related to that, the leadership of the movement for Black Lives would build the policy apparatus around the grassroots efforts that had existed in many of our communities before BLM took hold in the way that it has over the last few years. Um, it's often Black, queer, non-binary, um, uh, trans, uh, LGBTQIA plus folks who are leading those organizations and efforts. Uh, and so in the same way that we talked about, there would be no, we would not know Dr. Martin Luther King in the way in which we know him if it were not for Bayer And not only because he is a literal architect of the March on Washington, but because he introduced pacifism to Dr. King. He gets erased every single time McDonald's rings the bell and says it's Black History Month and we should talk about these things. The same thing happens when we separate the protracted struggle for ra radically inclusive social justice, which is civil rights, and then what, what sometimes white gay men claim as victories associated with the LGBTQ movement. Mm. And I want everybody to understand this going into Pride Month. There would not be a pride, there would not be an LGBTQ anything Mosh. if it were not for Black and Latinx trans folks Mosh. who led the work. Mm -hmm. And before we get to Marshall, who is super important, people think that, that, that pride started in New York. Pride started in Compton, California. Oh, I did not At know a that. donut shop, Cooper's Donuts. So, 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 I'm unpack this for a bit. <laughs> Wait, people. So, for people who are just listening and can't see you, you don't understand <laughs> <laughs> the body that was involved with that thought just now. <laughs> it's settled. It's, it's settled. It went down. The ancestors are like, "Yes, that's it. I want you to talk about this, sir." <laughs> right. So. What I want people to understand and appreciate, this is why people are spending, we are spending so much time trying to pass the Equality Act, is because policies matter. In both California and in New York, as was the case throughout the country, there were laws that said you could discriminate against people who you think are gay because of these myths that exist about them. So in New York, you could, as a shopkeeper, not serve liquor to people because they were gay, because there was this myth that gay folks can't handle their liquor. That's why, th this is why folks were concentrated at the Stonewall Inn, because it was a policy that said you could discriminate against people. And so what would happen is that police Which is where would, the Lavender book comes from, and we'll get to that too. Appreciate you, Fred. Yes, let's do that. And so police would then take advantage of this policy and, and go into yes. Stonewall and raid it. And right. say, y'all not supposed to be in here. Give me your money. I'm just going to harass you and do all of the things that police do when they have authority and no accountability to do their jobs. And there was a, a, a concerted effort by folks like Marsha B. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, Miss Major, who we just honored this weekend in a virtual team, who was like, no, fuck that. We're not doing it. And they, and, they, and they rebelled. And not only did they rebel, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera who existed at a time when the word trans didn't exist. Like the words weren't as polite as they are now. They right. then founded an organization to deal with the issues that other folks didn't want to deal with. Homelessness, uh, food insecurities, right? Like things that are still issues to this very day. And so I say this because anyone who purports to care about humanity, who purports to care about Black lives, has to appreciate that all parts of us have to matter all of the time. And it is disingenuous at best. Say that again. All, Say that again. All parts of us have to matter all of the time. Mm -hmm. It is disingenuous at best to say, I love Black people, and then turn around and say, I only love some but of them. I really, so only love, I really only love the ones that affirm me and the parts of my identity that are most important. And so my hope is that, like, 
we can connect these dots. We can invite people to think critically about terms and use the teachings that we have the privilege of being able to sit with at places like Columbia to help people liberate themselves, right? And, and I know people get lost in some of this because of the, the social weight associated with it, right? Like I'm right. The, gra- the, the grandson of a Black Baptist preacher, right? Like I'm not going to act like religious trauma is not a thing. And I know that you should not have a, you, the capital while you should not have a hard time understanding the importance of pronouns are using a preferred name when we care greatly about somebody respecting our credentials and whether or not we are a doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer or otherwise can make space for complicating other social constructs. So the last thing I'll say we about this We care about is, if we're married. So if we- Well, like, that's where I was going to go, which is, which is that- misses people love that. This is it. And so Amanda, like just, I, I ask people to think critically, right? Like I know that like, I use the term same gender loving. And, and 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 I know people roll their eyes because they're like, shit, it's already too many letters under the umbrella. Now you want me to learn more. I use same gender loving because gay is a white male political identifier. Things on the gay agenda don't matter to me as a black man who loves black people. I also use the term same gender loving because it centers my being proud of both being a descendant of Africa and someone who finds love in someone who was of the same gender, and because love is never centered in these conversations. This matters because terms exist and they have been created for a particular reason. And there is only one way to refer to a grown boy. He becomes a mister. There are, to your point, three ways at least to refer to a grown girl. She's Miss M-I-S-S, Mrs. M-S, or Miss M-R-S. And each of those designations, it's not just a title. They come with legal, social, political advantages or not. And they're all tied to one's relationship to a man and what is assumed to be a heterosexual state-sanctioned relationship. And it's all fucking problematic. So, okay, so we've laid out, like, in no uncertain terms that the politics around being specifically Black and LGBTQIA plus in this country are, what's the word I'm looking for? They're ostracizing, right? So they are ostracizing, they are um, oppressive, and they are oftentimes just treated as forgettable, right? Like, I think that's really kind of just on, that's like a layman's, 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 layman's way of looking at all of the things you've been saying. And for our listeners, you know, the question to me becomes, so what does it look like in terms of shifting the way that we move as a Black movement for liberation um, in terms of really including that intersectionality in like actual ways and not just in performative woke ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Virtue signaling. I appreciate that question. Um, So intersectionality matters and it's not simply enough to cite Kimberly Crenshaw. It's important to cite Kimberly Crenshaw because she did yeoman's work introducing the term to the Academy in relation to critical race theory. And Patricia Hill Collins reminds us that intersectionality has existed as a practice amongst indigenous communities, in particular women, for centuries. And I think in this moment, when I try and make sense of the last uh, 18 months in particular, the lesson that the ancestors keep pointing me to is that our liberation is really in leaning into the intersections. When we think about the reality that most Black folks who, again, uh, might not have the 
a privilege and burden of, of also showing up in the world as a member of a sexual minority community. Uh, but most Black folks are either born with a disability or made to have a disability as a result of our interactions with um, of institutions that are informed by race and racism. And even thinking about that and like shifting our language so that we are more competent about um, uh, disabilities that are hidden or invisible, um, that don't show up in the way that we traditionally right. write, write books or movies or characterize people as having a disability showing up as, allows us to be more competent. Yeah. And then I think demonstrate more compassion. And ultimately I don't need, uh, it would be nice, let me say that, um, to have um, all black folks engaged in uh, efforts to shift policy so that we can be free. But at a minimum, I'll take all black folks going out of their way to make sure that we all feel safe in each other's presence on the street, right? So mm. brothers um, uh, making clear to everybody that you are not gonna disrespect the black woman. And when I say black woman, I mean cis or trans. or um, us as a community, uh, acknowledging that it takes a whole lot of strength uh, to show up in the world um, as a feminine identified person, um, especially when people have uh, myths about how you should show up in your masculinity, your Black masculinity. Right. Uh, and so finding ways to honor that in the same way that we do. And here's how I know that it's possible. Because we do it when it comes to Big Frida. <laughs> we make space to celebrate. We make space to celebrate some members of the queer community while denying access to others who don't show up in particular ways or make us feel comfortable in ways that like don't then, you know, force us to to sit in all of this. And and, and so like what well, I'm asking, I know like, is possible. We, don't, we, I think it's also that we kind of, and I say we because I am a part of like a general community, right? Like there is a there is a sense of acceptance for folks who have aggressively accepted themselves. Right. And so like, like big Frida is coming through, whether you like it or not. And so we're just like, okay, bitch, right. But it's like, not everybody shows up that way and not everybody can, and not everybody has, you know, the grace and space that has been provided to them to be able to do that. And so like, they need to be given space in the same way versus just when someone is, um, an, an undeniable, uh, an undeniable energy. Right. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the thing. Like when someone comes through with this undeniable energy, it's like Baldwin, you know, like people love to be on some Baldwin. It's like, now nah, you just go because you're just going along because he's so wise and eloquent. He's all these other things that I think a lot of people don't realize that they're, they're somewhat tolerating their, the queerness in, ex, in exchange for all of the other things that that person is bringing to them that they feel like serve them. So in big Frida's case, it's like, she's giving you charisma, you know, she's giving you bounced music. She's giving you looks, honey. Like she's giving you content. She's giving you all these things. She's giving you laughs. She's giving you jokes. So you're just like, it, the exchange is fine. You know, and I think a lot of us unwittingly do that. Um, and when someone doesn't show up in that way, it's very easy for us to dispose of their deserving space as well. Right. And this is why I'm thankful for this platform that you have created, um, this one specifically, but uh, Smart, Funny and Black more generally, because when we do that, we do. Well, the, you know who's on the next Smart, Funny and Black? Big Frida? No. Uh, um well, I guess I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but we're doing a free show of Smart, Funny, and Black on the 22nd, and our Black spurts are Bob the Drag Queen and Monet Exchange. Yeah. See, look at you. Already on it. 
And this is important because whether we're talking about McFrieda, whether we're talking about Bob the Drag Queen, whether we're talking about Montero Lamont Hill, a.k.a. Lil Nas X, um, or Charlie Rivera, um, the burden that people then have to carry to, one, perform in ways that make you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And B, that then invite all kind of um, hate and um, uh, self uh, deprecating uh, projections from uh, doesn't allow people to be who they are. And it also doesn't allow us to do the kind of growth that we can do. We have meaningful, intimate relationships with people who have diverse experiences. Um, and so I get, I get the reflexive um, um, sort of visceral response to do that without being thoughtful. And I'm hopeful that people who at least would have given us a gift at that time will be more critical about doing that going forward. How did you feel about all the drama around Lil Nas X and all of the just the outrage around his song and his devil shoe? Because I felt uh, like mm-hmm. I love how I asked you a question. I'm about to answer myself. No, tell me how you feel, friend. I'm just like, y'all are so bored. Like, y'all are so bored. And I feel like there is such a continual pervasiveness of puritanical thoughts by people who were absolutely not like, it's just, people like to call it Christian and it's not. Yeah. It's not. Right. And I know people are in their car right now. Like Amanda, don't talk about my Jesus. And it's like, I'm not talking about, talk about your values and I'm talking about your moral. That part. Right. Cause Jesus showed up for the least of these. That's the Jesus that, that I know. So here's, here's what I think. Yes. Some of it was people being bored. And it's also people being aware. So this goes back to the question of like, is is this the gay agenda at work? If the gay agenda is the agenda so we can all be free and like just show up without threat of violence simply because of who we are and how we show up in the world, then absolutely right. This is the gay agenda. I respect Montero Lamont Hill. I pray that he has people around him who are literally and figuratively keeping him safe. Yes. Because again, all of what he's doing is offering himself up as a target for people who um, mm-hmm. don't want to do the kind of work they can do for themselves to be able to, to appreciate um, the art that he is able to contribute. I am so thankful that he is shifting um, conversations and thinking um, and framing around all of this, particularly at a point where so many children, young people need to hear it, not just kids who might at some point have experiences that might allow them to identify as members of the LGBTQIA plus community or not, um, but everybody, right? Because we should be not only tolerant, but celebrating people coming into who they are and who yeah. they're supposed to be over time. And and, and can is, I just interject and, and, and yeah. understanding that that makes the world better for everybody. When people get to live in the skin yeah. that they feel comfortable in and it yeah. is in a way that is not harmful to others. It literally creates a liberative, it creates a, I don't, I don't even know if liberatory is a word, but a liberatory, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. A liberatory energy that pulsates through because when you are not living in that skin, what ends up happening is that translates to anger that translates mm-hmm. to resentment that translates mm-hmm. to violence. And mm-hmm. so when we have people that are able to be themselves, we yeah. are so much a better society for it. Yeah. This is to, to the point about why people are drawn to big Frida's energy or low Richard's energy or all, right. Like that is just, that is just a part of it. Um, and I also am clear that 
um, people are aware of Little Nas X's brilliance and acknowledging that religion continues to be the tool that people use to oppress. And hence attacking that in this creative ass way that got y'all mad and putting coins in his pocket, I just think it's brilliant and it's worth celebrating. I think the, I the coins in the pocket was pisses people off the most. They're they, like, let them be, let them be mad, mad, mad. I feel the same way about Zion Wade. Z- well, here's, here's the thing that I think about, right? Like, and I know that people struggle with this because the vast majority of Americans do not know and, and have not been loved on by and have shared community with a trans person. That's just our reality. Well, then we you will continue like, to right, work through that. Because you see people like, um, you know, Boosie and Lil Mama just coming out their face with ridiculous statements, you know, that no, are just l- like, you don't gloss, know girl, nobody, clearly. You, you, you also don't know how this stuff works. So why are you talking about it? I don't even want, listen, that was, I, <laughs> I just want her to go back to pop her lip gloss. I don't know how to bake bread, okay? So I don't speak about baking bread. I don't speak about the ingredients. I don't speak about the process. I don't know how to bake bread, so I don't address it. So why are you talking about, so we're going to, let's go down this road and then we'll come back, we're going to do what you turn at the cul-de-sac. So there are so many people who are fascinated with trans identity and genitalia in ways that don't track the science or common sense. (laughs) I said this, I said this, I said this at the Breakfast Club, uh, the most people chagrin. Um, but we need to stop thinking about what's between somebody's legs. Identity, my maleness is not simply attached to my having a penis or being male identified or having a doctor who guessed right when he assigned my gen- my gender. Gender is assigned at birth. It's not natural. Right. It's not God-given, right? And people are fascinated upon genitalia and think about development in ways that suggest that it's fixed. So here's the thing that I often struggle with. Most humans have experiences that are informed by where they are at a particular moment in time over the course of their lifetime. And most people can engage in intimate and or romantic relationships that might be labeled queer without ever having to identify as queer. This goes back to the previous question you asked me about, like, when I chose to make a decision about being uh, about my private life being public, right? People yes. assume that I'm saying gender loving when they know or hear me talk about what NBJC does. That was intentional. And I'm willing to do it because my hope is that at some point, other people don't have to do it. They can just live their good old gay, gay lives. And I, when mm-hmm. I say gay, I put all the respect on it that, that I think it deserves. And there's still a lot more work for us to do until we get there. They Let live their same that. gender loving lives. Yes. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate you. Because <laughs> when you said I put all the respect on it that it deserves, I was like, wait, he doesn't really feel like it deserves much respect. So let's, 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 I don't. You're right. So <laughs> they would think a thing, beloved. I appreciate you holding me accountable for the things that I, I care about. Yes. They're saved in a loving lives. Yes. You said something before we started that I think people need to hear. And you spoke directly to the way, and this comes back to what you're talking about in terms of not just the obsession people have with what's between people's legs, but particularly the obsession people have between what's between children's legs. And you were speaking to just how, you know, you were a kindergarten to third grade teacher. And so, you know, there's a special, um, there's a special consciousness you have around the legislation that's being created around like trans and how that is being directly related to kids. And that's something I was unaware of. Yeah. I appreciate you um, um, bringing that back up. So um, Asa Hilliard, a sociologist, uh, taught me that uh, it's important to remember that kids don't have to be born. And he says there's no secret to how we support kids. What he really says is, I've never met a child, in particular a Black child, who is not a genius. And there's no secret to how we support them. We first acknowledge them as human, and then we second support them with love. 
And so much of my work has been informed by the sad reality that too often, um, not only is it the case that access to opportunity is still predicated upon code, zip code, or genetic code, Mm -hmm. but Black babies um, are seldom acknowledged as human, hence the movement for Black lives, um, and are seldom um, uh, seen as entitled to love. This shows up in curriculum, this shows up in policing, this shows up in all of these things. And it will never sit well with me that right now, kids, and this again goes back to where we were, right? Like, what it means for me as a grown man to identify same-gender loving is complicated. When I invite people in or otherwise disclose how I navigate the world, like, there are places I literally will not go because I ain't trying to die. And it's not because I'm scared. It's just because I'm clear about like the world that we live in. And, and those, those are considerations that we still have to make in the same way that some Black folks who don't have these concerns because of their privilege forget that like we had those same concerns in this country not too long ago, right? So it bothers me that like adults are introducing legislation that is offering a solution to a problem that doesn't exist and they're doing it on the bodies of children. So right now, kids who are assumed to be, because the idea that middle schoolers know that they are gay is just fraught with all kinds of complications. Again, yeah. I, it, it develops and changes over time. And they just trying to, they just trying to figure out where I can get some lunchables or ex- exchange these things, right? Like you got you got some batteries for the TI calculator, right? Like how do we I navigate COVID? I love how you framed middle schoolers within our <laughs> With an like, hour version of the school. I'm just saying, I'm nostalgic. There's my iPad and <laughs> you're right, you're right. And my me. Bitcoin. And my Bitcoins. So, but 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 while they're doing that, adults are concerned about what's between their legs and are denying them access to bathrooms and now teams and clubs. And so for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, there have been over 117 pieces of anti-trans legislation introduced as state legislatures across this country just this year. The vast majority of those bills do three things. One is they shift the relationship between medical providers, their patients, and their families. A lot of this is around the preoccupation with genitalia and this uh, unscientifically supported idea that kids are having gender confirmation surgery before they're 18. The, um, the second um, thing that these bills attempts to do are to deny trans folks access to bathrooms or locker rooms. We've seen this has happened in North Carolina, and there was a lot of public uh, protests that pushed them to, to walk that back. It happened in Georgia um, um, around the same time. And then most recently, we've seen a number of these bills that target, and, and the irony is that a lot of them have fairness in the name, but they target trans girls that say they can't play sports. And what I know as a sociologist and as an educator is that Students do well cognitively, socially, and emotionally when they bu- when they feel like they belong, when they yeah. feel like they're members of communities. And this is why we spend so much time and energy in sports, right? Like teams and clubs, intramural and professional, right? Like this is why we invest in the Olympics and professional sports associations. And, and to deny children who are trying to come into themselves and who they are, especially if children at that point are identifying as trans, and they're already susceptible to these additional forms of uh, burdens around violence and, and trauma, to then deny them access to something we know will allow them to be well and thrive is the very definition of attempts at genocide. Mm. The definition of the term genocide is an attempt to exterminate somebody based on political identity, 
which mm. this is. Okay. And yes. and it it to all of us should be a signal that as soon as they finish coming for trans folks, they're coming for the rest of us next. And that part of this is what doesn't make sense to me, right? Like these plays aren't necessarily new. There are very few things that are new in the policymaking process. These the, the legislation looks very much like the legislation that was introduced to prevent you and I from being able to have access to places like Columbia, right? And so I want us to be more thoughtful about how political policy conversations that adults have or otherwise responsible for impact children, literal babies who are not, who don't ask to be born, who I believe deserve all of the protection and love that, um, who often non-Black babies get. Um, and uh, I want us to stop doing the, the thing of abdicating responsibility for fixing problems that we're responsible for and then celebrating when young people um, fix our mess, right? Um, when I think about my birthday buddy, John Robert Lewis, um, and all of his efforts to get into good trouble, when I think about um, many of the young people who risk their lives uh, in, in, in this global panorama um, to, to fight for, for Black lives, uh, they shouldn't be doing it. They should be being children and whatever that means to them. And that they are, again, trying to fix the problems that adults created um, should signal to us that we should be doing better um, for them and for ourselves. My last question, and I mentioned this earlier, I would love for you to talk about the Lavender book because yeah. it speaks exactly what you're talking about, like safe spaces and it's be and and. and you know, there's there's safe spaces in terms of just like emotional safe spaces, but then there's like literal safe spaces, right? Yeah. And so yeah. can you speak to the Lavender book and why it's necessary and all of those things? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Uh, the Lavender book is an app. It's a web-based app. You can go to lavenderbook.org or nbjc.org to access it. Uh, and I'm really proud that it exists and that we were able to partner with Out in Tech to produce it. And I also look forward to the day when we don't need it anymore. Right. Um, the Lavender Book builds upon the legacy of the Green Book, which was produced out of necessity because Black folks traveling throughout this country needed to know where we could, we could go and not be killed um, mm -hmm. or otherwise experience um, violence or discrimination. Um, and for all of the reasons that we have named, um, acknowledging that there have been, uh, what, 26 trans and non-binary people murdered thus far this year that we know of, uh, definitely on track to be the deadliest of record. Um, when thinking about all of the violence that we experience at the hands of police or other state-sanctioned actors, um, I know that members of our community spend a considerable amount of labor trying to find ways to reduce harm. Um, and we got to think about whether or not our barber, our beautician, is going to say something homophobic or transphobic. Or if we go to, you know, place the order at a bakery that somebody's going to say, no, I'm not doing no gay cake. Um, I have to worry about right now whether or not I, I can get kicked out of a ride share because there are no protections against discrimination on the basis of sexual identity, gender orientation or expression that govern that govern rather what uh, in the law in the law and policy is called public accommodations. Um, and so um, our hope is that folks will leverage the lavender book um, as a way of crowdsourcing uh, businesses and public spaces that we know are safe and affirming. Um, that don't tolerate us, but actually celebrate us and honor the ways in which we show up uh, and show out and add value. Uh, and I'm really excited about ways that it might also shift industries um, to ensure that people prioritize uh, ensuring that their staff 
uh, and that their service models are also competent and compassionate. It, it is pure trash that we need this. And yet it is also worthy of applause that it has been compiled. Um, and so, con- you know, congrats is not the right word, but thank you. I should say. Yeah, no, I appreciate, um, I appreciate that. I think you know, I just want to say it's like problem. all of this is ever changing and 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 fluid. And um and so I think as much as many of us will be like, damn, like can I get some grace and learning the right terms? And damn, like, can I get some grace and yeah. being educated? I, you know, we also have to hold ourselves to a certain level of accountability in like always kind of challenging ourselves to committing to learning right about the best way to apply and that is not always easy and listen sometimes that and my therapist always says like humans are not a constant we have stops and start we have fits and starts right and Mm -hmm. um so sometimes you know things can feel like they're not your business or they're, they're just not a part of, you know, your, your problem, but it's imperative that we continue to understand that black social justice is inclusive of all black people, which is why in my special, I'd be knowing, I say every black experience. That HBO special, that award-winning stand, (laughs) like they produce a special. Yes. Every black experience is a black experience unless it is anti-black. That's it, you know? And, um, and so thank you so much for, for, for joining us to, to give us just like some concrete context in the ways in which this shows up, because I genuinely think a lot of us, because it's not necessarily like our immediate experience, it just doesn't seem to factor into our social justice. It doesn't. And we, and we don't necessarily have the, um, the, the, the tactile application of how to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I appreciate that. It is, it is much easier than we think. And I, w- I hope people hear my heart when I say, I will give you all the grace in the world as long as you are not only um, seeking knowledge, but applying it um, with grace, right? And so there is, to be clear, no shortage of information. The terms that I have access to, the, the theoretical frameworks that, that I now adopt uh, and try and apply um, every single day, they existed a lot longer than I have been alive. I think that the shortage... Are the crisis is often in the, in the application, people being willing to act on the knowledge, to stand up and, and be disruptive in the way in which you are, because it also invites the other shit that you have to deal with, not only trolls, but but like um, other things that, that, that have tangible implications. For somebody who has given us a gift of their time, or at least me in this context, um, and is still listening, and it's like, I don't, this stuff, this stuff still doesn't make sense to, to me. Let me try and share two things really quickly. One is Nigel Shelby. Nigel Shelby is a was 16. Uh, he he will, would have, would be celebrating his 18th birthday um, next year, but he died by suicide. Um, and he died by suicide because he lived in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, and went to a school where they tolerated him being Black and had n- no regard for him being queer. Like, he literally had a principal who he went to after being bullied in school, and she put on some music and said, why don't you dance? Because I know that that makes you people feel better. Right? And And so... When I'm talking about like language and terms and like shifting power by saying it's not really coming out, it's inviting in, like these things show up in practice when we think about kids who are forced to go to schools and be in situations with adults who don't have their best interest at heart. But the second thing that I want to leave people with is Michaela Miller. Michaela Miller is a 16-year-old Black girl who was murdered by 
five white teenagers in a town where the police haven't even advanced an investigation. And what pays me most about this, there'll be, we're, we're going to do a press conference tomorrow. Um, to talk about this is that Michaela's mother, who reported that she had been jumped. So Michaela had, had an ex-girlfriend, um, called ex-girlfriend, asked, you know, can I get my stuff that I left at your, at your house? Can, can, can we meet up and you give it back to me? The ex-girlfriend, as I understand it, showed up with four other people, two of them boys over the age of 18 who came from a nearby town to jump her. Michaela and her mother reported it to the police. Michaela leaves later that night with her computer, her backpack to go work, never to be seen again. The next morning, she is found dead with a belt tied around her neck attached to a tree. She wasn't hung from a tree because she was found standing and the tree's not strong enough to support her weight, but she was dead and had a belt around her neck. Why she had a belt, I don't know, because she had on a tracksuit. There was no need for a belt and the belt didn't belong to her. Right. And if all of this is not enough for somebody to just be like, what the fuck? The police then told her mother, don't press it. Let's not make the fact that we that this happened a big issue because you don't want people to know that she was gay. That our identities are weaponized against us in the same way that like when black men are murdered or black women are murdered, you know, the media trips over themselves to try us for our own murder. Like the fact that that still happens to us and, and in ways that don't even get discussed is why we should care. The same, Tony, I, I said I was going to give two, but I think in threes. The last one is this. George, the, 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 the day that um, Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd is coming up. It's upon us. I think it's the 27th. The same week that George Floyd was murdered, the Tallahassee Police Department murdered Tony McDade, a Black trans man. And nobody fucking talks about it. No, I'm literally in spaces where DNI experts, mostly white folks, trip over themselves to talk about George Floyd and what happened as a result of George Floyd with no consciousness of the fact that within the same week, another police department right. did the same thing to a black trans man. And, it, and, it's, and it's Tony's transness that allows folks to feel justified in erasing what happens yes. to him. It's Michaela's queerness. That allows folks to say, I, I don't really need to get in that because there was that. It, it, it's, it's Nigel's gayness that allows folks to say, well, maybe there was a reason why. And it, it, it would be right. Like, and, and I just I want us. I just want us to be more honest with ourselves. If we go and celebrate members of our community when we are adding value, we should protect members of our community when we need it. If we're going to say we love and value black people, we should say and demonstrate that we love all parts of Black people all of the time. The script. Well, we have a segment on here called The Script where we give folks just some supplementary materials that they can either view or read or, you know, immerse themselves in to carry forth the learning and the conversations that we're having. So mm. are there any books or docs or, you know, movies or spaces in place? <laughs> Place that you can point our listeners to to expand upon this uh, side effects of the politics of queerness. Yes, Amanda laughed because when we started, I pulled a book off of the, of the shelf <laughs> thinking it was going to be helpful because I be knowing too. <laughs> I know your people. 
Um, and so, yes, I encourage everybody to visit nbjc.org, nationalblackjusticecoalition.org. We have a resource library, which includes terminology guides that say, for example, don't use the term full-blown AIDS. It was created by the media to conjure up this image of AIDS being like this Ghostbusters thing when the technical term is stage three HIV. And if we use a technical th- term, we can reduce the stigma. And mm-hmm. maybe we can address the fact that like Black people are still dying as a result of HIV in 2021 when that doesn't have to be our reality. So website, terminology guide, and other resources. I also know that for some members of our community, Black folks, they still get caught up in this white supremacist lie that like queerness is a white thing. And it's something yes. that like the privileged among us do to try and, and, and be um, accepted and, and elite. Let's accept it. Cause right. Like I had to tell my mama, like, wait a minute. Cause her thing, <laughs> I'll go down a whole other rabbit hole. Um, but early on, my mother and I had this conversation where I think she was like, is this some shit that you got? Cause you went to college. And I was like, look, I'm smart. And, and, and I'm also a mama's boy. So if there's one thing you should know is that this shit ain't easy. If I wanted the easy route, I would not be doing this. And so I say all of that to say that for folks who get caught up in that, there's this wonderful book called The Spirit of Intimacy. I'm trying to show like people can see. Uh, it's called The Spirit of Intimacy, uh, Ancient African Teachings in the Ways of Relationships by Sambufu Somme. And I often quote this because uh, uh, Sambufu Somme says that in my village on the continent of Africa, the terms lesbian and gay didn't exist, but we made space for people that showed up in that way. Mm. And so for me, it's an instructive reminder that like we should be beyond the lies that capitalist white supremacists colonize America tries to sell us around our identity and politics. As long as we've existed, we have existed in beautifully and incredibly diverse ways. And trying to pass legislation to say, you know, trans folks can't do X, Y, and Z, ain't gonna stop trans folks from existing. Um, so I wanna highlight that as a resource as well. The last dose. Always such a lesson, like just it literally just like a waterfall of knowledge. It's like chase that waterfall. When you hear the the waterfall of knowledge coming from David Johns, chase it. Go chasing that waterfall. Um, Thank you so much for for just the work you do and just the the energy that you bring into the space of the work you do. I think there's just like a an awareness that you have and a compassion that kind of just like exists as a through line in a way that I am constantly working on. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this compassion is, uh, it is uh, it is elastic and I'm from Inglewood. I like to fight. So I'm like my therapist and I are working on that because I'm six, five, I got all these degrees and you know, I'm trying to show up in the world oh, let these in a different go. kind of way versus like, that's exactly what it is. I, I Listen, don't let these degrees, this, this, this caramel skin, this curly hair, these good teeth, don't let it fool you. I fight. Hey, well, that's a whole other podcast. I don't, I don't like that. I, that, that we have to fight. I don't and like that we have fight? to fight. And why can't I? Right. Fight? <laughs> I should be using, I, I deserve the space to fight. Fuck that. I mean, that is a whole other. I just did a whole Instagram video about that, about them calling terrorist organizations, you know, the organizations that are born as retaliatory forces right. to terrorism. But that's a whole. It is. It is. It is. Okay. Which is also why I, I saw that. And then I, I, I would love for you. I'm not going to give you more labor. But I dreamt, when I watched that, I thought about you having a conversation with the director of Exterminate All the Brutes. Um, because I started watching it this weekend. Oh my God, it's, it is. I, I'm on my second pass through it. Um, and I just, it's heavy. 
That's um, why I have, I'm like, I have to like bite size it. It's doses. You got you got everything in doses, small, small doses. doses. Da, 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 da. Everything in small doses. But but there, there are ways in which um, how you spoon feed people history um, is also wrapped up in the way in which they do it in that project. And when, I want to talk. I'm just going to keep watching because I'm I'm just interested to see how that permeates in the way I will in which try you continue to, to think. Make that happen. I mean, that's the dopeness about having this podcast. And I'm trying to create some other spaces to have those conversations as well. So thank you so much for joining us. You are a dream. And um, everybody, make sure that you go to nbjc.org. And I, and and listen, it is small doses. And so just add this to your dose list. And that's that. Thank you so much to David Johns for, as always, being a light and just being this beacon of knowledge and joy and information. And, you know, I think this topic for some people feels like unapproachable. I think it feels like it's maybe not their bag, you know, or maybe like just like mm, this complicated. But ultimately, like that's what it is all about. We have to challenge ourselves. And even if you heard this podcast today and you were just like, damn, like I didn't really understand fully everything he was talking about, you know, come back to it. Come back to it because I mean, listen, David is hella smart, and so he's speaking on a on an elevated level um, with an erudition <laughs> that is, um, you know, that is inspired at the very least by Baldwin and the concept of really just like addressing these topics um, with as much clarity and intellectualism as possible. And I think that what we all just deserve for ourselves and for our community particularly just not just black community but just like the community of humans on the earth is to consider others when we consider justice for ourselves and specifically in this conversation the lgbtqia plus community and it, it you know he talks about performative wokeness and there is a certain level of like people who say but don't do but there's also just a lot of people who don't even say and so start there start there Start by, at the very least, just saying and speaking into reality that your space and your rights and your deservedness of those rights and the civil liberties and the the access to joy are shared and deservedly shared by those whose access to love and their bodies is different than yours. And I'm speaking specifically to cis hetero folks and for all the folks who do not identify as that, uh, I think it's just very important that we make sure that you all know that you are loved and that the space needs to continue to open and be flexible and be receptive to you. Star Avenue, a, podca <clears throat> a podcast network.